Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so glad to have you joining me today. Well, I have a special guest, but before I introduce my guest, I want you to be aware that the sound quality in the interview, Dr. Justin Colson's sound quality is beautiful. Mine is not quite as good because I got a brand new microphone and when I hit record, I spoke into the wrong microphone. So my husband wants you to know that the sound quality is not his fault. It's a user error. Thank you very much to myself. So now I will move on to the really important part, something that I've been so excited about, which is this interview with Dr. Justin Colson. Uh, Dr. Justin Colson has written multiple peer-reviewed journal articles and scholarly book chapters, as well as several books and ebooks about parenting, including The 21 Days to a Happier Family and Nine Ways to a Resilient Child. Justin is also a highly sought-after international speaker, delivering keynote speeches and workshops to boost well-being and improve relationships for parents, teachers, students, and employees. In addition, Justin is constantly or is consistently sought after by the media for his expertise. He writes a weekly advice column for Sydney's Daily Telegraph. He appears regularly on The Project, The Today Show, Studio 10, Mornings, and several radio stations around the nation. Justin and his wife, Kylie, have their six daughters, yes, six, and live in Queensland. Together, they have successfully taught their children to sleep in their own beds, wear clothing even when it's hot, use the bathroom, and eat at least some of the food that um, is put on their plates most of the time. I am so excited to have Justin with us here today. Thank you, Justin, for joining us today. It's really nice to be with you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited, and I'm really excited that you're all the way in Australia and you sound clear as a bell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so great what we can do with technology, isn't it? And, and I love how you say I'm all the way in Australia because I've always been here. Australia doesn't seem that far away from me. I don't <laughs> know what's going on there. You know what? I actually have 1% of my listeners are from Australia, so I maybe have... Oh, let's see if we can do something about cheering. that. <laughs> Yeah, let, let's let's boost that up just a little bit. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So today we're going to be discussing unmet expectations in parenting. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. I want to ask you, is there anything wrong with setting expectations for our children? I'm really hesitant to say that there's a right and a wrong when it comes to anything, mm -hmm. but maybe a little bit of science would be helpful at the outset. Research tells us that the surest way to not be disappointed is to not have expectations. Mm -hmm. In other words, when we have an experience that does not meet the expectations that we have, we tend to struggle. And there may be no area where this is more likely to be experienced than in parenting. So if we have a child who, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about children who have additional mm -hmm. needs. We have a child who is struggling, a child who isn't living up to everything that we had hoped they would because we wanted them to be just like us, only better. Yeah. And now we're discovering that they're struggling socially or they're not really academically inclined or they're, um, they're constantly stimming and it can be embarrassing or we can't take them into the shopping center because we know that there's going to be a tantrum or a meltdown. Mm -hmm. This kind of situation leaves us absolutely um, 
challenged, if not devastated. And that's not to say that there's anything the matter with our children. That's, that's the last thing that I'm implying, but rather we had this expectation and we look at everybody else and their families and they all seem so happy, especially if we're only looking at their Facebook and Instagram feed. And we can tell that they're not dealing with the same daily tantrum, the same daily crisis, the same endless power struggles that we are. And we think to ourselves, this is so much harder than I expected. My expectations around being a parent and raising a happy, flourishing, uh, academic, social, joyful child have not been met. And so, of course, there's going to be disappointment. And, and, and I think it's really important that we just acknowledge that that's okay. You know, we, we're always going to have expectations and they're not going to be met often. It's just that this is something that's really hard. Now, in terms of having expectations for your children, this is where it gets a little bit complicated because whether you've got a child who has additional needs or whether you've got a child who is developing absolutely typically or even in advance of their developmental milestones, as parents, we always have these hopes for our children and I don't know that that's good for them or for us. And it's been through hard experience that I've sort of discovered that for myself. I had high hopes for um for my eldest child i'm one of I, i've got you know as you mentioned six mm -hmm. children and you know at, at the end of high school uh, she was no longer adhering to our faith tradition she was uh, no longer demonstrating any kind of scholastic aptitude she was no longer heading in the direction that we wanted her to and her life was clearly not going to be the one that we had mapped out in our minds sure. and my wife and i had to have this tremendous reckoning where we realized actually it's not our life it's hers and once we moved beyond expectations to something that we'll probably talk about a lot today acceptance mm -hmm. it changed the game it changed absolutely everything all of a sudden by accepting her and by the way we didn't accept her all of a sudden it took a couple of years of push and pull and struggle and some of the worst experiences that we've encountered in our lives let alone in our family uh, it, it was a really, really hard journey or pathway to acceptance, but it was only when we arrived at acceptance that things suddenly became easier, that our relationship became more uh, joyful and uh, started to flourish again. Well, I love that. I love that you use the word acceptance because we talk about that a lot as parents raising children with extra needs. There's a lot, we're looking for other people to accept our children. We're looking for the schools to find a place of acceptance. But I think the most valuable place of acceptance for our child is within our own homes and within our own families. And so I'm glad that you brought up ex or acceptance. So here's something that I wanna ask you. If we're, if we're kind of shifting from expectations to acceptance, how does that happen? What, what does that look like? What can it look like? Wow. You, you know, as I'm listening to your question and, and thinking about that insight, something occurred to me, and, and that is I, I'm always interested not just in what does matter, but what doesn't. or what We're talking about acceptance, so what's its opposite and what does that entail? And, and to answer your question, I think we actually have to answer it in the negative before we answer it in the in the affirmative. So when I think about the opposite of acceptance, it's judgment. If I'm not accepting my child, I'm therefore judging them. And usually that judgment is going to be negative. There's going to be some kind of uh, unhappy 
negative, miserable connotation with it. I, I'm, I had an expectation that my child was going to develop typically and have lots of friends. And guess what? That didn't work out. Now they're five or they're six and we've got uh, all of these additional needs and they're screaming at the teacher and the teacher's having meltdowns and needs to call additional help in. And I'm feeling judged by them. I'm, you know, I'm not a good enough parent or I'm in the shopping center. My child's having a massive meltdown and the people around me are judging me. And when they're judging me, they're not accepting me. But what's interesting as well is if I'm feeling judged, I'm more likely to be judgmental. So when we look at our children, whether we're acknowledging other people's judgment or not, we often look at them, our children with judgment. And we think, well, I'm judging you and you haven't measured up to the expectations that I had. Definitely there's a need for me to adjust my expectations if my child has any kind of an additional need. But more than that, I need to move away from judgment generally. Because if I'm being judgy, towards my children, they're going to feel it. And whatever my children are feeling judged, they're feeling precisely the opposite of acceptance. In one of my books, uh, I've got a, a measure of acceptance versus rejecting statements that parents might answer yes or no to. And it's a, it's a validated psycholog psychological scale designed to help us to understand the extent to which we are accepting or rejecting of our child. So when we talk about how do we move from, um, how do we move towards acceptance, we've got to acknowledge, first of all, that there may be some rejection in what we're doing. So let me go through these. There's only, uh, I think there's 13 questionnaire items. And all you've got to do essentially is jot down a yes or a no as I go through this. And if you're driving, keep both hands on the wheel, but kind of try to keep a tally of how many yeses and nos you get. Uh, hands at 10 and 2, please. Here we go. My parents say nice things about me. Oh, sorry, the, the way that we look at this is, uh, how would our children answer this questionnaire? This is a questionnaire, especially for children. So what would they say? Would they say yes or no? My parents say nice things about me. Obviously that's mm -hmm. accepting, right? My parent pays no attention to me. That would be a rejecting statement. My parent makes it easy for me to tell him or her things that are important to me. My parent sees me as a big nuisance. Yes. Ouch. My parent is always telling me how I should behave. My parent is always too busy to answer my questions. My parent is really interested in what I do. My parent makes me feel wanted and needed. My parent forgets important things I think they should remember. My parent lets me know I'm loved. My parent treats me gently and with kindness. My parent pays no attention to me as long as I do nothing to bother them. My parent wants to control whatever I do. It's pretty clear which one the acceptance statements are and it's pretty clear which one the rejecting yes. statements are. And I know I, I feel a little bit guilty myself <laughs> as I consider what my kids would probably say to some of those questionnaire items because life happens and we're all busy. But I also know from the conversations that I've had with parents of children who have additional needs, particularly when those children are young, you know, let's say four, five, six, seven, eight years of age, and even into their teens sometimes. If I just go through the rejecting statements again, consider how rejecting, because it's not whether or not you think you're being rejecting, it's whether or not they do. It's their perception that is that everything. Is so let me read them again. My parent pays no attention to me. Not too many parents that I know who've got kids who are, let's say on the autism spectrum, are gonna say, oh yeah, that's it. Most parents are actually paying <laughs> extra attention. So that one's probably not gonna be the case. 
But what about this one? My parent sees me as a big nuisance. Like it's really hard to um, it's really hard to not see your children even when they're typically developing. <laughs> Sometimes we see them as a big nuisance as well, right? Like when we're really tired or when they're saying what's for dinner and we haven't even finished serving <laughs> up breakfast. Uh, sometimes we look at our children and say, <laughs> in our minds at least, you are a big nuisance. But if we're saying it in our minds, it comes out through our eyes and it comes out through our body language. Children who have additional needs are going to, it, it, you know, there's this, there's this belief that kids, especially on the spectrum, don't read body language. But they, they, they feel what I'm going to, it's a very Australian term, but they, they feel yes. the vibe. You know, they, they get that we're, we're seeing them as a nuisance. What about this? Uh, this one's so much for kids with additional needs. My parent is always telling me how I should be. That is behave. so tricky because when they're going to their various therapies, the therapists are telling the parents, do this at home, do this at home, also practice this. And so you mm. kind of get into that groove of teaching, modeling, and, and that's okay. But I guess what you're saying is let them let them be sometimes. And tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, when I wrote the book that I'm reading from now, I don't know if this book's available in the US or not, but the book is called 21 Days to a Happier mm-hmm. Family. And when I wrote the book, I, I put an illustration in there of a bucket and ask the simple question, how much water is in your bucket? If your bucket is a representation of your relationship with your child, how much water is in there? See, a bucket is only good for carrying water, okay? So the water represents connection. The air in the bucket represents correction and direction. So as a proportion of water to air, how much water are you actually sticking in the bucket? And then I'll ask parents the simple question. Let's think about this morning with the kids. As you were getting them ready for school, how much connection was there and how much correction and direction was there? Because most parents will say, yeah, my morning is get out of bed. You're late. Hurry up. Eat your breakfast. Where's your school shoes? Where's your bag? Where's your lunchbox? Why haven't you done this? Come on, get out the door. And the whole morning is just this nonstop avalanche of correction and direction. Ouch. And so this question here, this questionnaire item, I should say, my parent is always telling me how I should behave. My experience with children, my experience with parents of children who have additional needs is that the proportion of correction and direction versus connection is higher most of the time because those children have additional needs and parents feel like they have to therefore correct and direct Mm -hmm. so much more. But the research shows that when we're correcting and directing, our children are feeling judged and not accepted. And there's this terrible bind, this terrible catch. And I can see, I mean, it's kind of embedded in the question you asked, but how do I move to acceptance and, and, and connection and away from judgment and correction and direction when I need to get them out the door or when this, the therapists have told me that I need to do all this stuff? It's so tricky. Uh, let me finish these off and then I'll move back to answering the question finally. Um, my parent forgets important things that I think they should remember. Like what parent hasn't done that on an almost daily basis? My parent pays no attention to me as long as I do nothing to bother them. <laughs> and my parent wants me to, con- wants to control whatever I do. So what's really going on here? Rejecting statements are about control. They're about judgment. They're about parents saying, you don't know what you're doing and I need to step in and look after things because you're a helpless child. And what happens when we do that is we don't give our children enough credit for being human, 
and for having a brain and having the capacity to work things out. And the very best research, whether it's on typical neuro, you know, normal populations, or whether it's on non-typical populations, the best research shows that when we do what uh, psychologists call autonomy supportive parenting, we just get a different result. And autonomy supportive parenting is remarkably accepting. It goes like this. You seem to be having a really hard time with this kiddo. Do you know why I ask you to do it? Well, what do you think is the best thing to do here? Or how can I help? So a parent who's autonomy supportive says, I accept that you're struggling. I still have some expectations. How can we work this out together? And to the extent possible, they give their child the opportunity to figure it out. I love that. I have to tell you that you've made me think about this experience that I had with my oldest. She's 18 and she's a freshman in college. And what I used to try to do, because I thought if I explained to her, well, let me back up. She would have an experience with a friend and I, and she would be sad or upset about it. And she would begin to tell me about that experience. And instead of just listening, I thought that the appropriate action was to take the role of that other person and say, maybe they were thinking this, or maybe they were thinking that. And I thought what I was doing was opening her mind to different situations and thought processes. But really what I was doing unintentionally was telling her that her feelings weren't valid. And she actually said to me after a back and forth like that, and when she was about 14 years old, she said, you know, mom, I'm sorry that I'm not more of the type of person that you want me to be. And my heart just sunk. And, but I was grateful for that experience and her words because it changed my course in parenting her as my child. And I began to listen and she, not surprisingly, began to talk more and share more and trust me more. But I just didn't understand that I was creating mistrust within her and also not valuing her for her own experiences and her own thoughts and feelings. Michelle, I love your insight on that. And I'd love to, I don't know, push the knife yeah, in a little bit deeper in, in the interest <laughs> of learning for just a sec, because not only is she feeling invalidated, but when we're constantly telling our children all of the things that mm -hmm. they've missed, we're also highlighting yes. their deficiency. We're doing it with the very best of intentions. And that's what your intention was. You're just trying to help her to understand something that she hasn't understood. And you're trying so hard to mm -hmm. help her. But when we constantly step in and help, what we basically say is, you're different. You need me to do this because you're not capable yourself. And there's a, there's a fundamental and basic psychological human need that every one of our children has, mm -hmm. and we have it as well. And that is a, a need to feel a level of competence. We want to feel capable. We want to feel mm -hmm. able. Children who have additional needs in addition to the constant correction and direction, taking away their autonomy and their choice, it also reinforces their incompetence and their incapability. Yes. But what you've also said, and this is, this is, I think, the key insight and the key learning, you said that as you started to listen more, she began to mm -hmm. trust you more. 
And I've got this thing that I call the uh, the trust triangle. You might call it the isosceles of influence if you want to be really fancy, but I call it the trust triangle. And and at what what it basically shows is that at the base of the triangle, you've got the the quality of your relationship. Have a really high quality relationship, and that leads to the middle of the triangle, which is trust. And with really high levels of trust in the relationship, the the tip of the triangle is influence. What's ironic is the more you be quiet and listen, give her autonomy and build trust, the more influence you have by doing less, just zipping it and saying, well, what do you think and how can I help? I love that so much. I, I think my husband is such a strong example of that. He used to say to me, okay, so don't correct that behavior now. Wait until we have a discussion on this topic and she brings it up <laughs> and then you can insert your thoughts. Then he would talk about timing and it's all about timing. And I learned that he was right. And also I just taking it back to that trust. I, my daughter and I now have an incredible relationship, but what I learned is I also have to allow her in when I try to step in and essentially save the day for her because we don't want to see our children hurt or potentially fail. I'm actually creating a failing situation in the long term. And what I what I really learned, have learned is I have to watch my children make mistakes in their own ways and they have to learn from their own experiences. And I need to be there to be a sounding board for them um, through these experiences. I guide when I can but they're not always open to that guidance. Yeah. There's a metaphor that I use to, I guess, uh, underscore the kinds of things that you've just described. Uh, if, if life is a balance beam and our children are walking along that balance beam, there are some parents who say, well, you know what? Sometimes life is tough and, and you fall off the balance beam and you fall down and you scrape your knee and, and, and that's just life. And you've got to get back up on the beam and keep on walking across it. Toughen up kid. You know, that, that kind of, uh, there, there's a phrase, I don't know if you use the phrase in America or not, but here in Australia, there are some people who have got that approach and they, they, they say you need to drink some concrete and harden up. <laughs> that's Australian. And I hope it becomes American. That's phenomenal. It, it, it pains me though, because it's such a, such a, it, it's a statement that lacks yes, compassion, but there are some parents who just shrug their shoulders and say, you know what, kiddo, life's tough. Get used to it. Get back on the balance beam. Keep on walking. Then on the other side of the, the, the scale, I guess, at the other end of the pole, uh, you've got parents who see their child starting to struggle while they're up on that balance beam. And before they can fall, they jump up onto the balance beam with their child and they pick them up and they carry them all the way to the yes. end. Except in life, you can't actually carry your children all the way to the end. That's not reasonable either. I think, though, that neither of those extremes is helpful. The reason that the toughen up princess approach doesn't work is that sometimes the balance beam isn't three feet off the ground uh, above some crash mats. Sometimes that balance beam is 20 feet off the ground and there's razor wire and broken glass and crocodiles, alligators, uh, you know, down, down underneath the, the balance beam in the water. There are some really big things that can happen to our children that can be uh, life-threatening, devastating, and soul-crushing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's helpful for parents to say, ah, look, stop being a sook, get back up on the balance beam. Uh, and as I've already indicated, 
jumping up on the balance beam and carrying them doesn't serve them well either. What the best thing we can do for their resilience seems to be is to walk alongside the beam beside them. And when we see them starting to topple and tip, we might just reach up and say, lean against me for a moment. I'm just going to hold you, you know, my, my hand against your thigh or against your leg because I'm reaching up to you and I'm going to let you rest. We're going to give you a little bit of support while you get through this. That is so beautiful. I... But your job is to walk it. I can't take the next step for you. So take a breather. When you, yeah, when you're ready, that's when you take the next step and I'll let go, but I'll always be beside you. That's how we build their resilience. That's how we show acceptance and move away from judgment. And that's how we help our children, regardless of what level of functionality they possess right now, to develop competence, to feel a sense of autonomy, and to know that the relationship that they have with us is firm. I love that analogy so much. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I know, because I think they should all hear what you just said. I think even parents of neurotypical children, that's a really powerful lesson. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone struggles, regardless of whether they have extra needs or not. It's just what we worry about when, as parents, raising children with extra needs or special needs is that they might need a little extra and they probably will a few more lean into's and a few more hand holdings and a few more at a girls or at a boys or you can do this and I think that's okay and what I want what I'm wondering is how do we maintain that balance as parents raising children I don't know <laughs> thank you for like I mean so <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got I've got six kids of my own. I've got a PhD in psychology. I've written six books about making our families happy. But I don't know. And that's because every family is different and all of our circumstances are different. And, and I can give you all the general answers, but we already know the general answers. You know, the, the answers like make sure you get enough sleep, look after yourself, make sure that you, uh, you know, if you've got a faith tradition, pray. If you don't have a faith tradition, be mindful and meditative and contemplative. Uh, do these things to look after you and to make sure that you've got the right approach. But, you know, Michelle, it's kind of impossible. I don't know that there's actually such a thing as balance. Uh, we, we do the best that we can. If there was any answer that I would give to this question, and it's, it's not even answering the question, and yet it kind of is, it's um, how do we balance it? Well, we just make sure that we are the very best version of ourselves that we can be, whatever the circumstances are. If, if I'm going to be the very best version of me, that means that when my child is having a, a fit because they won't get into the swimming pool for their learn to swim class, I'm going to be compassionate and patient rather than have a big uh, tantrum myself and tell them that I've paid the money and they're going to get in the pool. <laughs> Uh, if I'm in the shopping center and I've got a, a shopping cart that's three quarters full of my next fortnight's groceries and my child starts to lose it because they can't have what they want or because they need to go to the bathroom and we've said no, then being my very best me in that moment means that I'm going to somehow keep my emotions level, keep my thinking clear and respond in a way that's helpful, not hurtful. Uh, now, I don't know that that addresses the issue of balance so well but I think that it might address the issue of 
being a good human in difficult circumstances. And, and to me, that's probably the best that I can hope for since I have no idea what balance is or how to get it. <laughs> well, I love that response. I actually think it, it makes perfect sense. And I think that those listening will appreciate your thoughts also, especially your thoughts on not understanding how to get balance, because a lot of times we're looking for it. I'm glad it's elusive for all of us. <laughs> it, it's just so hard to find, Michelle. Um, every now and again, my wife Kylie and I look at each other and think, we're doing it. We've got balance. Mm -hmm. And that, that will usually last for about five <laughs> minutes. And then something will happen with one of the kids uh, or with, you know, the business that I run or with life generally, and we'll be back out of balance. It's, I, I think that it's actually placing an unfair expectation on ourselves, particularly if you've got children with this, with, 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 with additional needs. Uh, it's just so hard to find that, uh, that balance. I, I just don't know if it's yeah, there. I appreciate your thoughts on that. So Justin, I have another question for you. Um, we're about ready to wrap up, but I want to know if there's something that you have learned. This is a really loaded question, but is there something that you have learned about parenting that you feel is important for us as parents ourselves to understand? A word of wisdom you could share. <laughs> yeah. I'm being thoughtful because I've got a catalog of about 7,000 different things that I could say right now. I know um, do. Yeah. What I would say is uh, it's kind of a, a double barreled response. Mm -hmm. Firstly, parenting is hard. Parenting a child with additional needs is really hard and uh, failure is a necessary part of being a good parent. Uh, you're going to fail in the same way that if you want to learn a language, you're going to make millions of mistakes before you learn to uh, speak that language clearly. If you want to learn a musical instrument, you are going to make millions of mistakes. If you want to be a great parent, you're going to make millions of mm -hmm. mistakes every single day. You're going to make literally dozens of them that you could catalog, <laughs> which kind of brings me to the second point, And that is that to be the best parent that we can, we just have to, uh, we really want to, I'm stumbling over my words because let me say okay. that again, to be the best, to be the best parent that we can requires not only mistakes, but it requires humility and this never ending effort to just be the best person that we can. I, I look at parenting as, so, so my, my belief about life, we, we all come into these conversations with certain yes. assumptions. And an assumption that I have about life is that I'm here on this planet to become the very best human that I can, to, to learn as much as I can and to bless other people's lives because of what I've learned. I'm here to do good, to make a difference, to help others. That's what I believe I'm on this planet to do, literally. Um, and that, that may or may not fit into somebody's uh, cosmological view of what the whole purpose of life is about. But for me, that, that works really well. I'm here to grow and to learn and to share and to lift and to serve and, and help others. If we bring that into the parenting sphere to answer the second part of what I'm trying to get at here, number one, I'm going to fail constantly. But if I see parenting as something that is going to help me to grow and develop and become a better person, I'm going to embrace those failures and learn how to live with more intention as I guide my children 
while trying my very best to be better than I was yesterday. You know, I'll, I'll do better tomorrow than I did today because of that intention and the reality that I'm going to look at my failures with a, a critical but compassionate eye and, uh, and work on not making those same mistakes and having those same failures tomorrow. I really love that, learning from our mistakes and moving forward. I like that you added having compassion on ourselves too. I think that's really important. So Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that these that our listeners will thoroughly enjoy and feel very much educated and fulfilled in what you've taught us today. So here's the big question. How can listeners contact you? Uh, everything on Google will lead to me if you type my name in. There's uh, there's a handful of Justin Coulsons in the world, apparently, but I seem to dominate the front pages of Google. So if you just Google my name, that's probably the easiest. I've got a website. It's called happyfamilies.com.au. There's an AU on it because I'm here in Australia. Uh, happyfamilies.com.au. But yeah, just just Google me. Oh, and, and I'd love to mention my podcast because, you know, all of these parents who have got so much time to listen to all of these podcasts <laughs> Uh, there's this there's this thing that I do with my wife called the Happy Families Podcast, and we get a we, we just have a great time uh, talking about parenting. We call it the time the, the, the podcast for the time poor parent who just wants answers. Oh, I now. love that. Thanks again for being with me, and I am looking forward to meeting with you all next week.